Free the three. <laughs> I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. This is Fried Squirms, whatever episode we're on. Yeah. I didn't ask you 124. 124? All right. 124. High tension. You already know that from the episode title. However, the biggest news for us of the week probably just happened. Yeah, we've been holding off, too, just so we could watch it. We just got done watching the official two-minute Three From Hell trailer, not that teaser that was posted like a month ago. Obviously, now it's been out for like a week, so if you haven't fucking watched it, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> God, what do you think? I think it's going to be interesting, dude. It gives me a little bit better idea of what the plot's going to be about, somewhat. I mean, that, that's the thing. Idea. Like Now I know that they lived and weren't like brought back from hell. Because, you know, the name is Three from Hell. Who the fuck knows how he was going to go with it? But, like, that was cool. There's only so many ways that they could have lived. And so, yeah, the million one chances. I still don't actually know what's going on in the movie, but I'm super intrigued by all the shit I saw. Yeah, it was neat to see some familiar faces returning, of course, and some new faces, but familiar faces nonetheless. I don't know why I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but the guy that plays Alvarez from Sons of Anarchy is in it. Emilio Rivera, something like that. Somebody fucking tell me either or I'll look it up later. <laughs> but I don't know. It was super cool to see like new footage. I'm wondering what the fuck's going on with the Luchador gang. And what's his name? The LSD maker from Andy. I can't remember his name. He seems like he's going to be a pretty neat addition. I want to go back and rewatch it a couple more times. I'm pretty sure we get to see Captain Spaulding's real name. That would be dope. It's probably a highly likely chance that we will. I think it's on the, for his headshot when he's holding up the identification board, I think it was on there. Nice. I still don't know what the fuck they're doing. I don't know how they get out. There's the free the three all over the place, but. Yeah, this one definitely has that 70s feel to it as well, so I think he's going to pay a little bit more nod to that. I know, I was going to say, this definitely felt also more in the veins of, like, Devil's Rejects rather than House of a Thousand Corpses, which I'm down with. Yeah, likewise. Shit, I'm excited. Yeah, it's gonna be Fucking a fun. It's gonna be out. a fun film. It's another one of those just right around the corner. So, yeah. Looks like it's gonna be pretty brutal too. Yeah, I was excited about that. Otis was going to town on somebody. <laughs> yeah, Shit was yeah. getting squelchy. Well, you know, as long as he keeps it nice and gritty and raw, I think it's going to be a good film. Yeah, I'm fucking stoked. What do you got from the week? I didn't do shit this week. I didn't do a whole heck of a lot. I mean, outside of then, you know, the usual. I told you off mic, I rewatched a film last night. That initial impression was kind of like, eh. Watching it again last night, I was like, okay, I think I'm starting to like it a lot more than I did the first time around. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Like I said, a couple of pieces of mail came in this week. Got some new movies, some movies I've seen before. So, you know, hanging out for the most part, being relaxed. But, uh, yeah, how about yourself? Fuck, I played some Red Dead Redemption. Hell yeah. I mean, I haven't really been up to too much, to be honest. Just being lazy. Other than Three from Hell, like, I didn't even really see any super exciting news, like, come down from, like, any of the actual news outlets this week, so. Yeah, I just, I ran across a couple of bits of news I thought was kind of interesting, so I guess we can uh, kind of segue into some horror news of the week. So I'll lead off, and I did see that the real-life Conjuring House has been purchased. It's in Rhode Island, and it will open to visitors this year, so for fans of that, uh, you can go visit it. It looks like this... House has been around since 1736. I think the previous owners, they, I think they brought up a, a, like a lawsuit okay. for using his likeness or his images. But these new owners are more than willing to accept the fans and people who want to go visit it. So it's pretty cool. 
Next little bit of news I have involves a favorite of ours, actually, and that's Michael Rooker. So it looks like uh, Paramount is giving the Michael Rooker starring Monster Problems in early 2020 release. That is slated for March 6, 2020. Along with Michael Rooker, you've got um, Daniel Bryan. It looks like Rooker's playing this guy named Clyde. He's an expert hunter who teaches Joel Dawson, who is O'Brien's character, how to survive the monster apocalypse. Okay. So we'll see what happens with that. Next little bit of news, actually you and I have talked about it a little bit off air, was the fact that Nia DaCosta in Jordan Peele's Candyman is going to be filming this August in Chicago, which is interesting. I know when we reviewed the original, we talked about the fact that it was shot in Chicago as well at Cabrini Green, but that no longer exists. So it'll be interesting to see what they use for their film. Like I was telling you, I'm super excited for Jordan Peele to get his hands on Candyman. Yeah, I, dude. Uh, when we talked about it, go back to our Candyman episode and we'll talk about Such it more a in good length. Episode but too, I think. Candyman, the original, touches on gentrification. Absolutely, yeah. It was something that was sort of starting to become a problem during that time yeah, period. Yeah, like I said, all the like way back said, in the early like 90s. Like you said, Cabrini Green, at least in the way that we know it, doesn't exist anymore. I mean, do, huh. do people even call that area Cabrini Green anymore? You know, that's a good point. I have no idea. I don't know enough about Chicago. We could probably get Donnie in to talk about it since he's from Chicago. But Nice. I mean, I just don't know enough about it, but I know it's not the same as it was, partially due to the gentrification process. Why not get the guy who did Get Out and Us to talk about it? Like, <laughs> Yeah, he's got some good insight into these social commentaries, so it'll be exciting to see what Jordan Peele does with this. And that's the thing. It wouldn't be anything new. It was something right. that's already there. Yeah, and that's okay. This way you can kind of advance the story, mm-hmm. you know, which is really cool. So what I see now is that MGM is bringing Candyman to the big screen and expect that for a June 12th, 2020 release. That's too far away. Yeah. It's almost a year for a mile. But that's okay. We're almost there. All right. So the next thing I've seen, it involves Kevin Smith and Jay Muse. And it uh, looks like the trailer for Madness in the Method has dropped so for those who are fans of kevin smith and jason muse it looks like this movie is getting a select theater in on demand release for august the 2nd so just a few weeks out it also get a dvd and blu-ray sometime this fall it looks like muse of course is starring vinnie jones gina carano jamie camel kevin smith i mentioned danny trejo stan lee in his last on-screen role terry hatcher brian o'halloran and dean kane so brian o'halloran really yeah yeah dude all right so the next two bits of news i have that kind of tie into each other a little bit major reason is because of the theme but you and i've talked about it this week because we went and seen midsummer that ari aster has teased his next couple of films it looks like one of them could be a zonky nightmare comedy. And yeah, I think you mentioned another one. Oh, yeah. Like a tr- more of a drama. More of a drama. Yeah. So uh, be interesting, man. Like, I'm not opposed to seeing him doing some other genre films, you know? Mm-hmm. He's already got a and good And he said that horror. he's going to get back to horror at some point. Yeah. It I'm doesn't okay matter what that. he does next. He's going to get back to horror. So. Yeah. So it's nice to see him dabble his feet in some other genres. And I've already seen one of his shorts, and I can see what he can do with family drama. I mean, we all have to that extent, so... Yeah. Oh, I guess I did see one bit of news. We'll save it for the end. What what else do you have? I want to save it for the end. All right, so the thing that ties these two together is the fact that they're both folk horror. And according to uh, Entertainment Weekly, <laughs> ironically enough or coincidentally enough, uh, some of those bits of mail that I received this week was from Severn Films. But 
In collaboration with Kier Lajeunesse, there is a history of folk horror documentary, and it's going to be called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. And they've already talked about the fact that they're going to interview people like Robert Eggers. Of course, they're going to track the lineage of the films, which we've done. We talked about the unholy trinity of the folk horror films, beginning with The Witchfinder General in 1968, the film that we've done more recently, and that's Piers Hoggard's uh, Blood on Satan's Claw from 1971. I mean, technically, I guess we could go back to, like, Haxon and stuff. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah... I know what you're saying. I mean, technically, <laughs> you probably could. Yeah, they probably will, which would be cool. It'd we be nice might to see that. eventually. Man, I started I in kinda, on that. I kind of prefer talkies. I do too, dude. <laughs> For obvious reasons, but it kind of tests your patience. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, ooh, boy, it's it's hard not to pick up a phone or wander, but. I was going to say, it ends, of course, with... Um, and that's after gushing about flowers not too long ago. I, yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, at least you get sound. Yeah. You know? So it's not all silent. A little different. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. I think it's really cool. They've already released cover for it as far as for the documentary. It looks fucking boss, dude. Oh, let's see this. Turn that towards me. Oh, yeah, that's killer. I like that. Old school... Yeah, so it's paying homage to like folky. all the films that we've done as far as reviewed and just a oh, really shit. cool. Oh shit! Yeah, that's right. I didn't even notice that was the fiend face, wasn't that? Oh damn! Oh, I like this so much more. That's so fucking killer. What's this? A documentary? Yeah, it sure is. And it's going to be released by Severn Films. So, and they put out uh, some really good copies of some really dope. I films. know that you follow them much more than i do let me know is that available for pre-order yet like i think they're still working on it so okay whenever it does i'll let you know because that sure. cover is stiller <laughs> yeah so those are the bits of news i found interesting one last little bit of news even though it's not really horror adjacent it does involve an actor i really enjoy and unfortunately he has passed and that is rip torn so oh. Yeah, for those who are familiar with him. I That's think of right. him a lot because I really like Freddy Got Fingered. Oh, yeah. For me, I, I always think of Men in Black. Yeah, exactly. So I think if I'm not mistaken, I, I want to say... We're not hosting an intergalactic kegger. I almost want to say that he is related to Sissy Spacek. I know I was looking up some facts about him when I learned of Yeah, it's like he's got like one of the coolest fucking names ever. Yeah. Rip Torn. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, unfortunately he has passed away, but outside of that, man, that's pretty much the bits of news that caught my eye and some of the shit I've been up to. Okay, so the one thing I have that will transition to the rest of the episode <laughs> is that there's been rumors about the director of High Tension. Yeah. How, how, what's it? Alexandra Aja. Right. The whole French thing. I never that's know okay. what, I took what the, yeah. <laughs> I never know what to pronounce and what not to. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, it, it, it is. It's nuanced, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Is being floated around for possibly rebooting... Oh, yeah, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm that's Street. Be, oh, man, that would be fucking dope. And we didn't mean to do this, but he just had his latest movie come out in the theaters this very weekend. Yeah, it's like happy coincidences. Crawl. And everything I'm hearing is that it's a lot better than... What we saw in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I believe I first described my reaction to the trailer as being both way better and way worse looking than I could have imagined. Yeah. So Consider I'm going to be happy if the overall movie trends towards that way better. But from some of the things I saw, like I'm super surprised to be seeing as many positive reviews as I have been. So Likewise, and a lot of it has been coming from the horror community, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. 
Although that's the thing, like it's been coming from people who I felt are picky enough that I'm like, what? Yeah. You like this. Yeah, that's how I feel about it too. I mean, I've seen a lot of people say that they liked it more than they liked Midsommar, but I can understand the reason why too, because Midsommar is, I feel like you that's a what's polarizing film. Yeah, I mean, you do, but it's also a polarizing one. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Shit. So let's talk more again. I mean, this is going to be the second movie of his that we fucking covered about Alexander Aja and high tension as we get into the guts and bolts guts and bolts yeah guts and bolts high tension so if you're new to the show this we're going to talk about who and what went into the movie and try to stay spoiler free and sort of sell it to you and to start that off i guess a synopsis yeah i'll give you a a spoiler free synopsis if you've never seen this movie i'm definitely going to try to keep spoiler free because this movie's so much more fun not knowing what's going on yeah absolutely so alex and marie go back to alex's folks place in the french countryside mm-hmm. is it actually supposed to be set in france it yeah, is yeah because they mentioned yeah somebody's french being bad i only question that because of a note that i took about something <laughs> i noticed later but for what just like a getaway to fucking to study. study it seemed yeah. like i'm like what the fuck you doing anyway for a study vacation only to be terrorized by a trucker from out of nowhere. It's kind of like Joyride, except they didn't bring it on themselves. Good point. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, for sake of uh, the spoiler-free section, yeah. <laughs> so with a brief synopsis, you mentioned we like to talk about the cast and crew, kind of sell you on the idea of some of the films you might have seen their works from. So this week we'll start off we've already talked about the fact that our director is alexandra aja he's also one half of the writing crew on this we've talked about him before because we have covered the remake of the hills have eyes he's also directed such films as mirrors piranha 3d the film horns and more recently the film crawl which we just mentioned in a previous section so the other half of the writing team is gregory levisseur we've actually talked about him before because of the hills of eyes now, he and Alexander have also written the screenplay for the films P2, the film's Mirrors, the remake of the film Maniac, and an upcoming film entitled Space Adventure Cobra. No shit. Like, huh. Sack, interesting. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. So our cinematographer is Maxime Alexandra. We've talked about him before because he was the cinematographer for The Hills of Eyes. He was also the DP on the films P2, Mirrors, The Crazies, which is another remake, Maniac, Silent Hill Revelation, Annabelle Creation, The Nun, Shazam, and Crawl. So a lot of more recent films. I know I mentioned it before, but Shazam has some crazy horror elements that just pop in for very brief moments of the film. It's kind of nuts. Anyway, Well, there he goes. A little bit of example of maybe why. All right. We have three editors, two of them, this is their only title, and one of them we actually talked about before. So the person we've talked about before goes by a lone name of Baxter, and the reason we've talked about him is because he was the editor for the films The Hills Have Eyes and Inside, and also the remake of Maniac. And the other two people are Al Rundle and Sophie Vermersch. So this is the only two titles they have. Our music, we have talked about this gentleman before, and that is Francois Eudes Schonfrolt. And he was the composer for the film Inside, 
He's also the composer for the films Donkey Punch and Vinyan. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes. All right, special effects. The team was Otrechos, and one of the biggest names, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, is Gianetto de Rossi. Big name for a big reason. All right, the producers on this film were Alexandra Arkady and Robert Bonmusa. The production companies were Alexandra Films and Europa Corp. Distributors were Europa Corp Distribution. They helped with the 2003 France theatrical release. And Liongate's Films, they helped with the 2005 USA theatrical release, which was both dubbed and subtitled. Okay. All right, the release date was June 18th, 2003 in France and June 10th, 2005 here in the States and in Italy. The budget was an estimated $2.5 million. Its box office was about $6.8 million, so not a bad little return for mm-hmm. you know, a French horror film. And I do have a single tagline, and that is, Hearts Will Bleed. I like that. <laughs> Especially considering the image that's most often used for the cover art. Yeah. I think that's even more fitting. <laughs> considering, no kidding, damn. All right, so the cast... Of high attention, we'll start with Cécile de France, and she plays Marie. And she has been in such films as L'Art Delicate. So this, it translates to The Delicate Art of Seduction. All right, she's also known I, for her films, Irene. Her filmography blew my mind once you get to what she's been doing a little Outside bit more Outside of France, lately. right? Now, she was also in the films Around the World in 80 Days in the film Hereafter. Right. But what, she was also the voice of Raksha in The Jungle Book? Yeah, that was like the French dubbed version. Oh, okay. And the French dub in Cars 2. Yeah. Which is insane that like little kids are listening to her. Yeah, so if you're in France and you have the French version, you've probably heard her voice as well. All right, so the next actress I have in this is Mai Wen. And she plays the role of Alex or Alexandra. Mm-hmm. Now, she's been in some really cool films. I knew this prior to the film because I have looked her up before, but she was the diva in The Fifth Element, if you've ever seen that. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. It's pretty dope, isn't it? That is the part of the movie that I always remember first. Yeah. I mean, after knowing that, it's like, well, every time I see this film now, it's like, I can't help but think of her because of that role. That's actually, I love that film, man. <laughs> that yeah. film was awesome. Diva Plava Laguna. Yeah, it's a fucking dope-ass film. All right, My Win has also been in Leon the Professional. I think she was just like um, an extra in that film. She was also in the film Pardonnez-moi. Next actor I have is Philippe Oh, she Nihon. was married to Luc Besson. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Makes that sense. also helps explain how she ends up in Fifth Element. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. Good point. All right, so Philippe Nehon, he plays the role of Le Tour. And I'm not going to translate that because that kind of gives away who he is. All right. So he is known for the films I Stand Alone. He was also in Brotherhood of the Wolf. You might have seen him in Irreversible. He's also in Calvaire. And he's also in a film called Carnet. And he's known for playing kind of like sinister characters, kind of bad guys, so to speak. By the way, I fucking love Brotherhood of the Wolf. That movie rocks my socks. (laughs) I've watched it a number of times. Like, I did recognize him from that, actually. Nice. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Well, yeah. Especially a couple of the films I mentioned as far as, like, Calvair. I think I remember who exactly he was in that film. All right. So moving on, we have Andre Finti plays the role of Daniel, which is Alex's father in this film. He's been in such films as Assassination Games. He was in Charlie Countryman, Walking with the Enemy, and the film War Dogs. 
right? The next actress I have is Oana Pillier. She plays Alex's mother. She was in the film Nostradamus and Children of Men. The next actor I have is Frank Calfoon. He plays the role of Jimmy. And he is known for being in the films P2 and Piranha 3D. But he's also a director and he's friends of Alexandra Aja and uh, Gregory Levasseur. But he is the director of the films P2, Maniac, Amityville, The Awakening. And he has a film coming up. It's called Prey. And it is completed. And I think he's got two other films that he's either attached to or that are in pre-production. In the last actor I have in this film, this is his only credit, and that is Marco Claudio Pascu. He plays Tom, which is a little brother of Alex in the film. So that pretty much rounds out the cast, the crew. You gave us a brief synopsis. This movie warrants warnings. And I mean, we should we can bring this part up in the technical section too, and we'll we'll touch on it again, obviously later, because it's hard not to talk about the genre as a whole. But this is a movie that fits into the new French extremity movement. We've talked about Martyrs before. We've talked about Inside, Inside before. Sure. We've mentioned other films like Eels and, you know, you said Martyrs, Inside. Uh, we've mentioned Irreversible, though we're never going to cover it because it's not much of a horror. There's just <laughs> no, a it's really just, it's terrible more of a fucking rape scene yeah. in it. What, like a 20-minute rape? Nah, like it's that. it's more like... Uh, it's not that long, but you, you know what I it's mean. It's extended, let's put it that way. I, I used to own it, so I, I'm pretty familiar. Monica Bellucci, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. It's a castle, yeah, it's a dope film. It's just brutal. Yeah, it's just brutal. So, I mean, it's the whole genre was known for extreme. It's in the fucking name, yeah, it was right? Pushing New boundaries. French Extreme. It's pushing boundaries. This arguably kicked off the horror side. Yeah, you can argue with that, especially here in the States. Especially, yeah, especially here in the States. I would say out of all of the New French Extremity, this is the one that most people probably would have heard of. Absolutely. I, I Yeah, well, I'll make some arguments for that later on. Even though two of the others had American remakes. Yeah, yeah, considering Jesus Christ. But it's in the name, Extreme. So it gets gory, it gets bloody. It's violent. Honestly, it gets violent. There's boobs, there's some language. Not a lot of language, but there's some no, language. There, and it's there in there French. Is some language. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So if you want to learn Even some in French the American dirty words, cut, it's in French. That's just funny. <laughs> but we have covered a lot more extreme things than this. We have. It's just what's shown is done really well. 100% agreed. However, like, don't let it being New French Extremity throw you off too much. Like, if you've already sat through something like I Saw the Devil, yeah, then you can handle this. You can definitely handle this. Uh, let's see, as far as, like, mainstream American horror goes, like, if you've seen, like, up to, like, the third Saw, you could probably handle this. Yeah, I mean, like, Hostel, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, you can handle this film. And that's kind of mainstream and it's things that are a bit more extreme are being shown than what's in this but i mean it still earns the title extreme it sure does so yeah. be warned yeah yeah exactly if you're faint of heart and you don't like blood and gore and stuff like that and it'll probably be off-putting shit let's just get into talking about this movie yeah. and find out how it made us squeal how does that make you squeal Haute tension. <laughs> Haute tension, yeah. Also known as Switchblade Romance. Oh, right, in the UK. Which I almost like that name more. I was thinking about it when I was watching it both times. And the first time, I'm like, fuck that. And the second time through, I'm like, no, I kind of like the name yeah, Switchblade Romance. Yeah, I mean, I, could, I understand it, it completely. 
Yeah, high tension just has a, a different kind of feel to it. High tension doesn't really describe much about this. movie. It really does not either. It's kind Switch of Switchblade Romance at least describes a little bit about this movie. Yeah, you, I think just the name alone feels kind of like slashery. Yeah. Anyway, high tension. We're getting into it. This is a spoiler heavy zone. Yeah. So if you have not watched this movie, do that fucking first. turn back now <laughs> because. This is the fucking new French extreme movie that actually has a twist. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, big twist. So, three, two, one. We're here. Fucking awesome. Yeah, dude. I, I love this, this film. Movie. I do. You know, you, we were mentioning, too, specifically here in the States, I feel like this film was the one that did spur on all the other ones that followed suit. This is the one that ended up in $5 bins at Walmart. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a way like a lot of people buy movies out of those bins just because they're in those bins, which means this movie got passed the fuck around. Yeah, that's pretty gnarly when you think about that, too, which I'm okay with. That's cool. More exposure. Do you know how I know that? I don't know. I bought bought it out of the $5 bin at Walmart as a fucking birthday present for my mom. Because wow. I hadn't seen it yet, and I was just like, well, this is a horror movie, and mom's the only person in the family that I watch horror with. Wow. What did moms think? She never gave me, like, a really, <laughs> like, thorough review. I remember her kind of saying that she liked it, but I think she also kind of mentioned that she only watched it one time. <laughs> well, I can see probably why. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Yeah, this is actually one of the films, once again, during that time period. Because here in the States, it was released in 2005. And that's right when I was getting into film collecting, right when I came back from New York. And I do remember seeing this in the theater and, you know, thinking around that time, like, man, this was a fucking dope film. It was completely different from what, you know, some of the stuff that was coming out around that time as well. When I bought it for my mom, I hadn't seen it, had barely heard of it, but I was like, this cover looks cool. My mom's in horror movies. Yeah. I'm fucking broke, so (laughs) all I can really spend on her is like five bucks but hopefully she'll like this. I didn't see it till later, and by the time I saw it, I already knew the twist. So I'm guessing you going seeing it in theaters, you didn't know the twist. I had no idea. I think I, you know, trying to think back 14 years ago, like exactly how I remember seeing it. I can't remember if I saw a trailer for it or just kind of went in blind, but I do remember just seeing it. And I almost want to say I saw it at, there was a $2 theater back home. So after a film had been in, the theaters for like a month or two right before it came out for dvd release or whatever you know they played at that theater first and whatever so i think i remember seeing it there and then not too long after buying the dvd of it didn't have any idea what i was getting myself into and you liked it oh i loved it because the twist is also what seems to get most people yeah i think that is the polarizing moment in this film Okay, I can't remember what other film we said this about, but I kind of understand a person not liking the twist if they've only seen the movie one time. Good point, yeah. I think once you've watched it at least twice, you can really focus on the minute details. The twist becomes a lot of fun. It does. I mean, I guess we should just say what it is, right? Marie's the killer. Right, exactly. So (laughs) the way it is set up, too... And it's clever. A lot of it is editing. It's just the opening of the film itself. You know, you're getting these cuts. Marie in the forest, running. She's all bloodied up. You see the car. So it's just like these quick cuts. And then you see her repeating this refrain, which looks like she's in a hospital. 
And then she's asking if she's being recorded or if they're recording. And the refrain she's using, she's saying, I won't let anyone come between us anymore. So there you go. That's kind of the opening you get. Well, I think that's the easiest thing to forget. And Because I it's think, quick. It's quick. I mean, that one line, though, I think is so important for this entire movie is the, oh, no, are they not. recording? Yeah. This movie is supposed to be her testimony. Yep, exactly. And once you understand what the twist is, she <laughs> is an unreliable narrator. Yep, exactly. If there's plot holes, it's because this is a memory of how she experienced it. Right. Which is almost more terrifying. It is, because you can't take how this film plays out in the literal sense. Like, none of this is literally happening. There's a few fragments that you do see that actually happened, but it's very brief. And that's the thing. Part of the game, I think, once you know the twist and you're rewatching this movie, is every scene trying to be like, how much of what I'm seeing is real? Yep, exactly. Is this what's really going on? No. Like, because you know the story, you're like, right. no, this has to be happening right now. So this part is just in her brain. Right. Or is you're like, exaggerated or, or this has to be happening right now. And this is later parts in her brain. Absolutely. And that's what you're right. That's what makes watching this film multiple times a lot of fun because of those twists jumping back in the whole new french extremity as a whole especially as we've covered it so far i've yet to see calvaire so i can't comment on that okay i would say that inside and martyrs are still better movies than this one this is by far more rewatchable for me i agree than either of those i two. think i totally agree with that sentiment even like personal feelings aside from all those films, I think as a whole, yeah, this one's a lot more rewatchable. And I think too, because of that twist, especially after you've seen it, you're probably more inclined to have a friend watch it and kind of get their jollies off of it, I suppose. And this also kind of plays out like a subversion of slashers. Yeah, it does. Which makes it, I think, a really good entry point as well for if you're like, I don't know if they're going to be able to handle inside, but yeah. maybe if they can handle this. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think you can't just throw people into martyrs and or inside like we've done, but <laughs> but I we think if you're trying look, to... We didn't no, just throw no, no. them into martyrs. They had... <laughs> Four films before that oh, to warm yeah. up. Five films before that to warm up. <laughs> they had ample opportunities to guide themselves into it. But in terms of just the French extremity, I wouldn't lead off with those two films. Oh, no, not at no, all. This one this would is be the precursor. Easy entry point. God, I guess we already sort of mentioned the are they recording. We can sort of just start going through the movie, I think, really. Because there's lots of really neat things about it. One of the things that super stood out to me. Oh, God. So this is something that I first noticed with this completely different note that I took. <laughs> okay. Because it gets mirrored back later and how it opens with the asking for the cigarette and the light and then later on when she has Alex in the back and is driving out yeah. towards the very end, she hands back the cigarette and then starts playing with the light. Yeah. Like she's going to fucking drop it after. Teasing. Totally mirroring how this movie starts. Absolutely. But what I definitely noticed from the get-go is that the killer is never in the back of the vehicle. Absolutely. Doesn't matter what vehicle it is. For that matter, I don't think the killer's rig can exist. No, likewise. All right, before we even get into that, right, there are some exchanges from the get-go. Like, she appears to be coming out of a dream. Like, oh, right, where it's a man chasing her, but the man is right. her. So I underscored... The lines I felt like it was important because it's, it's like a short monologue. But anyway, she was saying that it wasn't a guy, it was me. 
it was me running after me. So she's explaining what the dream was. Alex is like, don't you ever have normal dreams? And this is what she was explaining to her, you know? So it's like, oh, that's already her confession. It's not a guy, it's me. Yeah. Oh, no, it, it gives chasing it away. Myself. Yeah, chasing she's myself. literally telling you what to expect. But you don't get that context exactly. I mean, and it also very much sets up the dynamic between the personalities, too. Yep. Because Marie, I almost fucked up their names again, <laughs> is way less confrontational, way more submissive than the killer. Yep. Marie is the only one that enters into holding spaces. For the first three quarters of the movie, she's literally running away. It's only after she kind of embraces it towards the end that we have Marie like acting in any way aggressively. Right, right, right. There, Yeah, there's a disconnect. I think a lot of it happens, it's once again in the context of the conversation that Marie and Alex have in the car on the way to Alex's parents is they start talking about guys and hooking up and stuff like that. So if this is your first time through, you won't necessarily know the exact context, but upon the second, third, etc., you understand that there's this like Marie is sexually frustrated because she, they don't say it, but you can kind of glean that she's probably a lesbian mm-hmm. and she has feelings for Alex, but Alex is into dudes. Seems like she might when be it, sleeping around. When it came to this rewatch, because it's been since I was in college since I watched this movie. It's probably been at least 12 years since I watched this movie. 13 years now. Because it came out, what, 15 years ago? Right? Yeah, 14 well, years ago. in France, yeah. Oh, yeah. five here in the States, yeah. 14 years ago, so... Yeah, it's probably been 12 years since I've seen this movie then. And I forgot that they sort of spelled that out explicitly at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And towards the beginning... I was just like, oh, she's totally in love with her. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm can... like, the acting is so well done. The writing is so well done. I'm yeah. like, oh, she is totally in love with her. Oh, God, quit talking about that dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can't you see how she are hurting her feelings right now? Yeah, and then they start the, kind of goading each other. You know, mm-hmm. slut, asshole, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of that. That's another kind of a tall tale sign. Because for me, I felt like that was part of the personality split. Is She's very neutral until something like that. A little bit more personal. I think that's probably the manifestation part of where she gets that killer from. One of the things that people bring up is like, oh, this can't have happened with the, what the twist is and why you can't take this movie 100% literally. As they're driving and after that fun little exchange and shit, like, you get the cut to the killer. <laughs> getting, getting some head. Getting some head. <laughs> which there's no way in the world in the context that the killer's rig can exist. So the killer can't be sitting in his rig. Right, exactly. We know that those two are definitely traveling together. Mm-hmm. So it's not some weird, like, random. she got off at a rest stop. Or what the scene transition is, is before that, Marie is in the passenger seat. Mm-hmm. She's trying to get to drive. Yep. And when she takes control, Alex starts passing out. And she can't stop looking at her. Yeah, she becomes fascinated. And the killer is in the driver's seat getting getting ahead from a brunette. Yeah. I mean, the writer... It's literally her fantasy. Yeah. And it it ties into the fact that the killer never gets in the back seat or in the back, but it doesn't necessarily go in the reverse. There are times when Marie is the one driving, but when 
she starts to take control is the times that it seems the killer comes out more. Yeah, I agree with that. Totally. That's where I feel there's a shift in that the character dynamic is so when as she's she in drives, control, yep. she's more likely to become the killer. Exactly. Because she's in control. I think a neat metaphor too you can read into that scene with the you know, the guy in the truck getting head and tossing away. You can also look at it as a metaphor for Alex being like just used and tossed away by guys. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing is like she's saying, Hey, she's being tossed out, you know, whereas Marie wants a relationship, it looks like, you know. But yeah, there is that switch. And uh this is when they arrive at the home. I also think that that sets up the fact that, like I said, the killer's rig can exist. And so any rig she's in is the killer's rig it is, if absolutely. she's in that mindset. Yeah, I 100% agree that the truck doesn't exist. Arguably, Jimmy's car, too. I was going to say, Jimmy's car is weird. Yeah, you can argue that it could be real. I'd argue that m- maybe not. I'd Yeah, I'd argue that... It's just some generic retelling of a car that she got in that she perceived of as being powerful and fast in her yeah. retelling. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's a muscle car. It's a muscle car that has a fucking Confederate flag yeah. as its goddamn license. So flag. there's already like this this macho bravado to it, you know, that's attached to it. So that's like more masculine than feminine. I mean, all those rigs for the most part. Of course, she doesn't get into Jimmy's car until she's starting to try to pursue pursue alex and her manifestation of the killer that would be kind of like the in-between right yeah between the car that they're in in the beginning and the rusted out fucking redneck rig where dude's literally just sitting there like swigging whiskey on the go and shit (laughs) and i mean dude's french but he looks like a fucking redneck yeah yeah yeah. he looks like he looks like a serial killer killer redneck well all right here's something interesting from horror movies a little bit of trivia all right (laughs) I was going to say There's rednecks this. in French, France? Well, yeah, there's rednecks anywhere you go. But um, the guy, Aja and Levasseur, said that when they cast Nahon Philippe, that is, is, he was kind of not wanting to do these kind of roles anymore. He said he's been playing like these racists and dirty cops and killers, etc. He said, I just want to be the happy grandpa guy in a film, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? But they convinced him he liked the script, etc. But they also said a part of his appearance in this film, they wanted him to resemble an infamous French serial killer, this guy named Emile Louis. So a little bit of his look has to do with that. Okay. Like, his hair is not naturally red. They did that on purpose. Even some of the costume design and shit was inspired because of a special makeup effects artist. I'll get into that later, but there's a reason why he kind of has this look and demeanor about him. But overall, to me, like, it read... Like I said, this movie's damn near a slasher movie. It really is. It's playing Uh, on tropes. It's definitely playing on tropes, which makes the movie even more brilliant how they make the final girl the killer. Yeah, it's it's really dope. You're right. There is another twist to it, so to speak. Yeah. And it's implied that she might be a virgin. And not truly the final girl? No, she's not. I mean, no, no, no. The person who we think is the final girl is the killer and gets stopped by the real final girl. (laughs) That's pretty gnarly, isn't it? All right. Lots of twists. All right, so after we see the rig, after Marie takes control, there's also a scene in the cornfield as they're driving up to the parents' house where right. Marie gets out. The initial thing they wanted to keep in, which was cut out, was as Marie is going through the cornfield looking for Alex, and of course it's a prank, is that on the way back she was supposed to get a glimpse of the truck out in the cornfields. Okay. 
but they cut it out because they were like, that might have been a little too much on the nose. You know, they were trying to give you more clues, I think, in the beginning. I think I kind of would have liked that. Yeah, I think it would have given you a different, like, ooh, she's seeing that there is somebody there, as opposed to him just arriving Mm -hmm. a little bit later on, which still makes sense when you look at it, though. For the sake of not giving away the twist too soon, I understand why they took it out. But as someone who knows who, what the twist is, I really would have liked her seeing the truck yeah. at that moment. I think that would have been a cool little device. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you maybe a little bit more anxiety. Like, oh shit, she knows somebody's there. At least it's implied that he's there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, alright. So they finally arrive to the home. They get introduced. You get introduced to all the family, the dog, all that shit. And then throughout, there's a couple of scenes that foreshadow a couple of things, I feel like. Okay. All right, so one of them is not necessarily the Chekhov's gun, but there's a scene where she goes out to, to take a smoke, Marie that is, and you see the dad in his study, and there's a rifle right behind him. But there's also kind of like this blurred image of herself in that window. Oh, okay. She eventually uses that to kill Tom, the little mm-hmm. boy. But then she also sees... This, this kind of turns into a twist. Yeah. One of my notes was I can't figure out where the gun came from because it's I didn't. really quick. I noticed the gun my first watch through, but I didn't pay attention to it my second time when I was actually taking notes. Fuck. That's where the gun. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. And the second happens outside as well. She's in the swing. She's taking the smoke. She's looking up and she's seeing Alex taking the shower. Right. Now, the funny thing is. Is that the way that she's framed in the window is like, it's not possible unless she was raised. And they did that on purpose, of course. But what that leads to is when Marie goes back inside the house, she starts to flick the bean upstairs. Which, that's when the killer arrives. Also, that scene can't have happened. That's true. I think that's more of a metaphor, that scene. That Reason scene being is too, definitely more of a metaphor for what's going on. It's because she's getting the ready song to do. that's being played too. I don't know if you listen to the lyrics. It's like a Jamaican song, mm-hmm. but it's basically just another girl. Just another girl. Yeah, and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> yep, Alex is just another girl. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, the second time through, I'm like, oh, this can't be happening. The giveaway is that the dog doesn't bark at her on her way up the stairs, and she has to meet the dad at the door. Yep. Exactly. And so she never goes back inside. Maybe she did actually flick the bean outside. It's a possibility. I mean, it's implied but that she... But she never went back inside at that point. Yeah. I mean, there's even the scene, too, where she locks a door. So it makes me wonder, was it locked initially before she got in, or did she lock it when she got in? So you right. can look at it either way. Either way, the doors were locked. Most of the other times that Marie is running away from her killer personality, mm-hmm. it's very much more of a literal running away. Yeah. yeah this yeah. is a very subtle time where she's just distancing herself. Yeah, you're right. She's you're like, I'm right. going to come in my room and Tune I'm myself just not going to pay attention to what's going on. I'm going to focus on the pleasure aspect rather than right. the shit that's right, going right, to Right, right, There is a release to what she's doing. I totally agree with that. I think that's watching it the first time through anybody right is that you still well, i was under the impression grabbing. yeah it's like i was under the impression that all this shit's playing out the way that it's being told right she's upstairs she's flicking her bean the killings start to happen and it's like oh shit she's she just so happens to be a guest who probably a the killer probably wasn't expecting to be there or b she's just really good at hiding and she's just being a witness to all this but in reality or at least looking at it now it's like oh no 
she's carrying out the killings as they're being played out, but there's a part of herself that's distancing herself from what she's actually doing. Like you said, she's putting on the headphones, tuning out. She's kind of escaping herself. Maybe that's a part of her that she despises. She does it, but she doesn't like that part of herself. And so that's well, why you're I not really seeing it. That chasm is there. What do I want to say? I think it's it's kind of like the familiarity breeds contempt idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where her normal, sane Marie side despises being associated with the killer side because they have that thing in common. Yeah. Which is they're both into chicks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think it's kind of neat, too, when you look at the way that she personifies the killer as like a grimy, kind of dirty guy, rednecky, you know, drives his fucked up kind of rape vehicle. And you wonder if there's like self-loathing. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of getting at. Like she knows there's a part of herself that she loathes or like she despises. But but I don't think it's yeah. necessarily born out of the self. No, no, no. I don't think. I either. think that's just a part of it. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's the repetition. It's just a part of that cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's kind of the fun thing too is. That first time through in the theater watching it and, and feeling like, oh, she's escaping, she's dodging, she's doing this. And I think there's some interesting tall tale signs from Alex, too, in, in the house upon further watching. is Even when Alex and Marie... Alex is never relieved to see her. No, never, never. And you would think that she would be, considering the circumstances. Actually, the second time through when I was really paying attention for the sake of like note-taking and shit, like some of Alex's expressions they tell so much like she does such a good job she, um, yeah, i agree i can't remember exactly when it is you notice like when alex finally gets free she doesn't immediately go crazy even though like she has a knife and her attacker and her captor is right there and i'm like why doesn't she just immediately like yeah, go, go for it and there's a few not a few like a number of scenes earlier probably like 20 minutes earlier i think it's when they're at the gas station and I can't remember what line it is and what exchange it is that they have, but you see this moment where, like, it flashes on Alex's face just how crazy she is. And, like, it's almost like she has this realization moment of what's truly going on. Like, yeah. she had been super confused up to a point, and then she's just like, oh, God, like, there's a part of her that still is my friend, but... Yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, no, there is a scene, too, in that truck where she just kind of... Alex, she just kind of lays down. She just lays down. It's like mm-hmm. she's almost kind of done fighting at this point. You're right. Like there's, there's a moment of, uh, of a real realization. All right. So inside the home, we're still initially too. This film was just supposed to be shot in a home throughout okay. the entire course of the film, but because they wanted to open things up and still play out over the course of the night, they expanded it. Of course. I can see that. I kept wondering. I'm surprised this movie has as small of a kill count as it does. I thought that they yeah, were gonna. It. I thought they were gonna do something kind of like they did with Inside, where you kind of get these other groups <laughs> showing up and getting brought into it. Yeah, exactly. But or no, uh, was... Macabre does the same thing when yeah, suddenly like all those people in police show up at the end. You're like, like oh, there's whoa. like four more people who get killed. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Now, this one is very tame right after she leaves the home, but I do want to talk about those kills because... Yeah. Oh, my God. Those are fucking brutal. Oh, my God. The head's flat. <laughs> so good. <laughs> All right. So, that one's kind of neat. Reason being... No, I do have to make this disclaimer, too. I'm pretty sure you read a little bit about this. 
But this film gets knocked a lot too, not just because of the twist, but because there's some controversy surrounding it because of a Dean Koontz novel. Mm. Uh, intensity. Yeah, right? intensity. Right. So I haven't read that though. I've read some I other Koontz. Either, I but like, I did read the plot. Like, like I was kind of curious, and it was like, holy shit! Now both Lavasser and Aja both had said they did read the book prior to filming, so they were inspired by it. But Koontz dropped the lawsuit because there was some differences about three quarters of the way through the film. The major difference is the film and the book pretty much follow the same plot all the way up until you get to the gas station. And then it completely changes. There is a little twist between some of the characters. I'll talk about after we get done talking about the film. But anyway, they get knocked a lot for that too. Like they're saying it's pretty much a knockoff or they're ripping off Dean Koontz's intensity. Didn't Koontz also say something along the lines of like, I don't want to continue this lawsuit because it just means that my name will be associated with this fucking, he's like this piece of trash, like (laughs) depraved. (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe to his detriment, he should have because it probably would have sold more of that book. Because who the fuck's heard of Intensity, right? I didn't either until I started doing my research. And I I like me some Dean Koontz. I think his Frankenstein novels are fucking awesome. Nice. And I've read some others beside that, but I, nothing that pops immediately to mind. But <laughs> high tension can spring to mind at any time, yeah. Dean Koontz. <laughs> so, all right. So, in the film and in the novel, like the stuff that gets carried out with the family almost happens pretty much to a T. Now, Aja said that he did his research. He actually got with like forensics scientists to go to the crime scenes. And he said that pretty much all those scenes of death, like the mother's throat slashing, the father's, you know, head getting decapitated. It pretty much is accurate. Like, that's how blood would have flowed. That's the spray patterns you would have gotten. Maybe exaggerated a little bit, of course, but pretty accurate for the most part. Okay. Now, the guy I was mentioning earlier that they brought in, they said because the film didn't have a huge budget, a lot of the stuff they wanted to portray on film had to have a payoff. Otherwise, it would have been shit. You know, it would have looked too fake. They felt it would have been more of a parody of horror than an actual horror film. Okay. So the guy they brought in... I mentioned him earlier, was Giannetto De Rossi. And he's a big name for a couple of different reasons. In the late 70s, we've actually covered one of the films, but we've covered Fulci's The Beyond. Oh, right. Right. He was a makeup effects artist for that. He was also an artist for his Fulci's film Zombie from 79 and House by the Cemetery. Right. So Fulci used them. He was also used in David Lynch's Dune. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was really neat. So a part of the killer's character, too was modeled off of Baron uh, Harkonnen from Dune. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's actually really funny. Yeah, I can see it now that you said that. And that's it's mainly because really DeRossi funny. worked on the film, yeah. right? So he was inspired a lot. But anyway, a lot of the blood, a lot of the effects, all that shit that you get to see on screen was because of DeRossi. And uh, they said if they were going to do it, they wanted to have a big name, and they got one. And they grew up watching Fulci films. The thing that's unique about French horror, when we think of these films that we're covering, is that in France, they're not known for horror up to a certain period in their history. It's because horror is not really a film they make a lot of. It's not There's not much money in it. So they don't have the history that Spain and Italy and maybe the UK and parts of Asia here in the States have. So they're borrowing from all of those elements, mostly 70s and 80s film, mm-hmm. which they pay a lot of homage to. I've already mentioned a couple of them. All right, so deaths. I know I was kind of lingering with that. It's okay. <laughs> tangent. It's okay. I'm just still but thinking the first about the head split. Dope. Gets his head kicked into the staircase and then gets rammed by, I guess, like a bookshelf or whatever. 
It's like, <laughs> well, the bookshelf oh, is nasty, shit. but you kind of get to f- see a very brief snippet of like what actually blow? happened la- later oh, when damn. she fucking just kicked the head. Yeah, that's pretty good, too. That's fuck. Yeah, and then mom gets it. Mom's is. I felt like that one played a little bit more like a Giallo, her death. Yeah, yeah, I can see yeah, that. I think that was more of an homage. Because it was more voyeuristic. She's watching from the closet. And I mean, and it's also a little bit like late. 70s early 80s slasher it does have that feel it certainly does the thing i like about that scene is like so that spray that you get the gore that you get i thought the first time through that she was decapitating her and then when marie comes out of the closet and the mom's still speaking you're like god damn that's brutal dude oh my i i also got the biggest chuckle of the movie for me in that scene <laughs> when she then goes to pick up the phone and there's the severed hand just laying next oh, to it yeah He's like, it oh, just cuts shit. over and there's a hand laying there and i fucking just <laughs> yeah i mean it's like damn philip neon said that out of all the scenes that he had to do on film that was the one that made him the most nervous i think they made this wax mold over her throat mm-hmm. and the the razor blade that he used was blunted so mm-hmm. you know the chances of her getting cut were kind of nil because there was also a protective layer after the makeup between her and her throat. So anyway, I watched it and DeRossi was showing him how to like, he's like, just do it. Just go for it. You know, dig in and do it quick. He said that he had to do two takes because he was nervous that he was going to cut her. Yeah. You know, and I can understand why too, because it pays off pretty damn good. Dude, just this weekend, the story's from like two years ago, but it was circling around online again. And I read a story about two, like, high school kids that almost died in their fucking high school production of Sweeney Todd. Oh, Jesus. Because they didn't take proper precautions on the fucking... Yeah, I mean, he's slitting throats and shit. And that's what happened. They didn't take proper precautions. Apparently, they didn't blunt the blade. They just, like, wrapped the end in, like, cardboard and then told the kid to, like, go for it. (laughs) Yeah, nope. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) That's scary, dude. Yeah. Two kids almost died. Yeah. Same and same deal too. we're talking about right now. No, thank you. But yeah, nope. I mean, I can understand. Except they had proper precautions on the set of fucking yeah, high tension. <laughs> Shit. And not in the fucking high school production. Yeah, if you're going to do it, get DeRossi. <laughs> yeah, high schoolers. <laughs> All right, so those two deaths, awesome. The third one, they didn't show. They had another initial intent the death scene was the little boy oh yeah the kid were they going to show something they wanted to show his brains getting blown out and the parts of the brain matter hitting the camera okay or like hitting this you know like yeah. it's coming at you in 3d so it was like ooh, that would have been brutal but they're like no we there's no way we would have got away with that yeah because they just do the like cut at the gunshot yeah 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 deal and you and see then you see the body later on laying there later yeah later on too you see her in those flash sequences. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you never see the actual shooting. There's one thing in particular they said that was kind of a stroke of luck because of the time frame they had to shoot in. As the killer actually comes into the home, and I think he's approaching the mom, if I'm not mistaken, there's the headlights of the truck is you know oh, shining yeah. through, and they said that the glare from the light hitting the camera left a halo effect over the killer's face. That there's no way they would have pulled off in post-production. <laughs> like I said, there was bits of or like strokes of luck they had. And that's throughout the film. Like They had certain things planned, but because of certain other things, it didn't work out. But it actually worked in their favor. So that was one of them. And I'll mention several more as we go along. So anyway, 
You get the killing of the family. We see that the killer's dragging Alex out of the home, bound in the truck, and then that's one of those things where, like, I feel like Alex might have been dealt with earlier than that. Absolutely. I also think too, looking at it now, is like I wonder how much was Marie more of a stalker more so than a guest because of the way things get played out. Um, Was she actually on that car ride? with alex or was she more of like did she just show up yeah i think she was a guest because she like the father pointed or no like um like alex pointed out after the father mentioned the pictures like she's part of the furniture like and you do i'm pretty sure get to see the picture he mentions on the mantle in the background yeah she is like a friend and i think she was a guest although i mean you can make an argument that's all yeah that's all i'm supposing either way it would work but I do think she was a guest. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something to throw out there. All right. So you get the chase that leads up to the gap. Well, actually, she gets in the back of the truck, doesn't she? Right. Okay. So that's where it starts. Then they go to the gas station. Then you have the next big moments of the film with Jimmy getting axed, which was actually an homage to The Shining. And they said that was one of the most difficult scenes for them to pull off because they tried like five or six different methods to pull mm. that off. They said even one of them was using like a pig corpse, but to use the chest as like the plate for the, the axe to drive into, they said it didn't work. So I think they used sandbags instead. Okay. Yeah. And of course, like tubing, pneumatic tubing. Mm-hmm. But they said that was one of the toughest ones to shoot. Another part of that too is there's a nod to Maniac because of the way that Marie hides in those bathroom stalls. Of course, truck stops don't have that many stalls in the bathrooms. They actually shot it Kind of like a, I think in a subway. Okay. Yeah. So some of that was designed, but that was kind of an homage to Maniac. And I think the neat thing too to make mention is that they shot this film actually in the order that the film plays out too. So oh, they actually shot it in sequence. Yeah, they sure that's did. rare. My Wen talked about it because she talks about certain things later on in the film that lend its hand to some of her acting, which has a huge payoff. So yeah, even uh, Cecile de France who plays Marie, she's like. She didn't really play films like this, and so mm-hmm. it kind of she was cast against her normal type. So she said she was like Getting super nervous. Getting her ramp into it and go yeah. through the movie, I can only imagine what it helped. Yeah, so that's what they did is like she was actually portraying the, that fear, and so a lot of that was captured on film was like their true emotions during those scenes. I mean, I'm sure there's a few ways you could probably read into it, but I, I did, I wrote it down without any particular thought in mind, but I just sort of wondered what the graffiti on the bathroom when she was hiding, how it might tie into the movie since it read, I am alive and you are dead. Yeah, that's a good point. In they, French. Yeah. I translated it. There are certain things that the guys don't talk about. Like, they never really talk about what exactly Marie has, whether it's schizophrenia, multiple personalities, did disassociative identity mm-hmm. disorder, etc., but I think there's enough clues in this film that where you can kind of sway either way, or probably both, to be honest. At the gas station, as all that's wrapping up and she's calling the cops and all that noise, like, the killer busts out. One of the things that I ended up having to take note of was, even though we see him supposedly, you know, pulling out and she makes the call to the cops, oh, fuck, he's getting away, whatever. Yeah. And then she jumps in Jimmy's rig to follow after and is somehow immediately like 20 feet right behind him. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? We don't actually cut to what he's doing until she is also driving. Makes sense. 
And it's only once she has gotten in Jimmy's car that we start getting the cuts back and forth between the killer and her. Mm-hmm. And we get a little bit of understanding of the fact that Alex is... Because that's the part where we get the mirroring of the fucking cigarette and the light. Yeah. You have to imagine that even though you can't see her in the Marie scenes, she's laying across the back seat. Absolutely. Like Marie was in the front seat. And that's what I was thinking, too, is like, even though the way that you view is like she's chasing. But yeah, the whole time, probably in reality, Mywen, Alex is in the back. Marie is driving. She's probably doing both. She's having like a split personality episode, so to speak. And if you try to keep track of both the scenes back and forth and what's going on, Alex has the knife, Mm -hmm. but Marie keeps looking at the gun in her scenes. Yep. Which would, of course, keep Alex from doing anything. Yep, exactly. Even though you also have the killer and his going on happening. Yeah, yeah. It's like all these weird twists that are happening all at once is just the way that it's being interpreted. So, the car crash. Mm-hmm. How do you interpret the car crash then? Because there was one thought that I point. had, but I don't think it's backed up by how everything plays, plays out, out later. That's a good point, too, because I was trying to think of that way. Like, how do you explain that, per se? I could see it as it probably did happen, and Marie, you know, she's coming out of her episode or whatever. Whatever car it was, whether it was Jimmy's, whether it was the red car they arrived in, I think you can look at it a couple of different ways. I think that's the way I kind of want to lean towards it, is that they, she probably did wreck, and that was the way that Alex got out. See, the one thought that I had, and I don't think it actually ends up working because you see the knife later and it's still clean, mm-hmm. but I noticed, especially the first time through, that the wounds that Marie ends up with look a lot like long slashes. Like, she was in her Back. weird double day, you know? yeah where she was in her days and not knowing what the fuck's going on. And a certain amount of time dilation seems to happen whenever Marie's in control or whenever we're watching Marie. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the shit that happened with the family, first off, we see it all from Marie's perspective, which we know is wrong because she's the killer. Yeah, yeah. But it also takes way longer than it ever could have because it's more about her mental state and how she was trying to keep safe in the room and shit. Right, exactly. the length that things take to play out during that scene just couldn't have happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a good point. So right before the crash happens, she does like the stop and back up and stuff. So she's not paying attention to the gun. She's reaching back. She's doing all this shit, opening herself up to an attack. And But like I said, you see the knife later and it hasn't been used. So I don't think that was the case. But the first time through, I'm like, was she too out of it? Was she too split? And like... I think that's a good argument to make, too, is that that would have given Alex some time to at least put up a struggle, at mm-hmm. least put up a fight. But then what happens after the car wreck is that um, she stumbles, Marie, that is, she stumbles towards, like, glass houses, almost looks like maybe grow house, kind of like in I Saw the Devil, right? Yeah. Here's something that's neat about that, is that that wasn't the initial intention for that okay. scene. I think they were filming, it was either in Romania or in Hungary, in Bucharest at the time. And that particular place has a dry riverbed, and so they had planned it to be dry and there to be, like, a, a struggle in that riverbed. Okay. And instead, it rained. Rained, and there was a and there was actually, fucking they, river. They are like, it was a river. No, it was like a fucking lake, right? <laughs> so they said, so they were like, well, we're going to film inside instead in those. 
So that's what happened. They did all that shit. But here's something else that's really neat. She's being followed by herself, the killer, whatever. And they have that struggle. And she takes that post. That was... I, I wrote this movie has such dope weapons because that post and then the circular saw that comes that like five minutes after best. is so fucking killer. All right. So I'll get into the post first, right? So the post was actually like kind of rubber material. Oh, and... I thought you were going to say it was borrowed from like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, that would have been. Yeah. Hell yeah. But the oh, barbed no, barb- wire. Let me. Barb- barb- wire. Cactus you, Jack? You, yeah. You're not going to believe this. <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous. The barbed wire was actually wax. And it was just painted to look okay. like it, right? Which is really dope. So this is how they pulled off Philip Nihon, the killer, getting smacked in the face. How hard did they smack him? No, this is really interesting. Is that this is a film trick. So they put a post in front of his face, right? And so the shots that you get are either over the shoulder from his perspective or you're seeing it from her perspective over her shoulder swinging. And so they put a post in front of him so that she could swing to make it look realistic, and he's just reacting to the blows. Okay. But here's the funny part, if you want to call it funny, is the first take she missed the post. And it actually him. smacked him in the face. Is that the take they used? I'm not sure. They didn't really specify. But <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, no, even though it's a rubber material, etc., it's like still gonna hurt like a motherfucker. And then the second time, you know, there was a lot of apprehension because a lot of these actors build a rapport with each other. Like they actually had a really cool friendship. But I thought that was kind of neat. I was like, man, I wonder, because it looks good. It looks authentic until she gets to, like, her frantic swinging moments. Then it's like, uh, she's probably never played cricket and or baseball or <laughs> softball because it was a pretty weak. But granted, the schedule they were shooting at, the fact that they were in the elements, it was cold a lot of the times. It was raining a lot of the times, shooting at night. They were exhausted, and they were giving physically demanding scenes mm-hmm. to portray. So I can understand Maybe a little bit of like the non-realistic swings from my perspective. It was still good. But the thing I took away from that was like I felt like her character at that moment, that was like her way of suppressing the killer. Like, okay, I've already done what I needed to do. I got Alex by herself. Now I can be Marie, normal Marie again. Mm -hmm. I think that's why she lets out a little bit of that carnal scream. She's gone through so much. Now she's finally stabilizing a little bit. So if you take the beginning literally, and this is all being done as a testimony, and as sort of her retelling how she experienced it, you would possibly wonder why in a couple minutes, why she would switch back and forth mm-hmm. and sort of give it all away herself. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Because like, she's tracking down Alex as the killer, and then it comes time to kiss her, yeah. and she's Marie. And obviously, if you're retelling it like that, then you gave it away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But first off, she's fucking cuckoo. (laughs) Yep. Second off, though, like, that was the part that meant something to Marie. Yeah. Like, she can't give that moment to the killer in her retelling. No, 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 no. That's hers. That's hers. What was the... I'm not going to let them keep us apart or whatever. Yeah, no, she does. Oh, yeah, she's like, uh, nobody will come between us ever. And then she repeats the refrain from the beginning of the film. So it doesn't matter that, you know, she was telling the people that, you know, the killer, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, because she hates the killer. Yeah, exactly. Like we said, it's probably deeper than that, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. But she can't give him that, so of course she breaks then. And and that's probably one of the scenes ever since the action started that is probably the most true to what actually happened at that moment. I think you're right, because that's more of a true emotion, maybe, or... 
And it's an inkling of truth. both of the killer and her occupying the same space yeah. for once. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's until yeah she gets stabbed and she feels that betrayal that that killer comes back out to the surface. Like, all right, mm-hmm. we're one again. <laughs> I sort of skipped over it a little bit. That fucking circular saw. That's some, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is I noticed the contrast too as well. Is like during the day she's more Marie. That is she's more of the same mm-hmm. person. At night, that's when the killer comes out, does all the killing, and then the next time that you see Marie with Alex is when she's getting out of the back of the truck, and it's during the day. And of course, we just mentioned she's seems like she's more stable, but. Once she gets stabbed and the chase begins, that kind of is an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She gets that buzzsaw out, that concrete buzzsaw, and it's like, oh, yes, because I know what's going to happen now. And that's the best. I, I love that. I think out of all the moments in the film that stood out to me most, even way back when, was that moment with the buzzsaw, because it's fucking gnarly. They show a little cut of the carnage left behind, though, and I'm a little bit unimpressed with how <laughs> yeah. much blood was flying, but... The way that they deal with the blood just spraying the inside of the car <laughs> like, and oh just like God. ripping the fuck out of that wind. Like, it's so gnarly. It's, it's so, so brutal. Good. Man, here's something that's cool once again. Bits of trivia is they only had one take to do that. Because, oh, Because they were ripping the fuck out of a car? Yeah, I was like, well, that was like the original car. Like that was, you know, the actual model. That was the actual old windshield, they said. And Mm -hmm. that was a real buzzsaw they were using. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, a lot of it is just the way they were perspective filming it. But all that shit was real. Like they brought in these body doubles for uh, Philippe, the guy who plays the killer, to give him, they said, more of an ogre look because he's actually shorter than Maiwen and Cécile de France. You know, so they're like, well, he's supposed to be more of this looming, you know, ominous figure. So anyway, when they do bust out that windshield and they get into the driver's spraying and it's kind of neat because as you're watching it from like behind the scenes, you have Maiwen in the back and they're just spraying her with blood and like they have water bottles just spraying mist and shit. Even the blood, this is kind of neat. They said the blood that squirts back into the camera lens Mm-hmm. actually happened that was like another stroke of oh, luck yeah, they had okay. and they said that because it was a rented camera the next crew that was filming for whatever film they were filming kept writing back to them and like what the hell were you guys doing because it kept dripping blood out of lenses and stuff because <laughs> of how much gore and blood was in that scene i just like the intensity like it's frantic you're like oh fuck she's going to town dude She's literally tormenting Alex in the back, mm-hmm. kind of mocking her, too, and the killers. Ah, I like that, too. The next gnarly moment is when Alex actually does get out, and she's crawling in the road because she has a big old piece of uh, glass in her leg. Ooh, yeah. That <laughs> like, fucking... Oh, that that's sucked. so gnarly. Oh. Yeah. That's brutal, dude. That's one of those ones, like... The break looked good. Some of the shit, like... Like, the circular <laughs> saw to the chest doesn't bug me as much no. as, like, glass in the foot, because... That's a little bit I more have, real. That's the thing. It's more real. Like, I've stepped on shit that oh, hurt. Oh. I've cut myself with glass never that deep, never that bad. Dude. But, like, I have very realistic, yeah. like, ideas of what that could be like how that feels we've all shared some kind of moment like that maybe Mm -hmm. not to that extent but yeah i can sympathize a lot more (laughs) and so yeah seeing that glass coming out i was like oh oh, yeah ow 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 always right we know how the rest plays out right she gets crowbarred marie that is 
here's what I was going to say too is scariest uh, scene in the movie. My Wen talked about the fact that during that shot, like that during that day that they had to film that, she said it was smart for them to shoot in sequence because she said they had to wait so long, they were cold, they were tired, exhausted. And then, you know, they're waiting around for their scene to do it. And then she's like, when it finally happens, you know, it's kind of terrifying and she's cold. And you can see the chatter, like her, her teeth chatter and shit. Oh, I was going to say the scariest scene in the movie is the one that comes right after all of this. Oh, dude. Yeah. Where she's looking. Marie is. Yeah. Marie is like doing the refrain. And she looks and like reaches out. Like, when she reaches oh. out, that was the most terrifying thing in this fucking like, oh, movie. Oh, shit. Even though they're through the glass. Yeah. Still, she knows. It's good. The only thing... Oh, man. That fucking freaked me out. I don't... That ending is... It's haunting. So, it's it really so is haunting. haunting after the rest of it. Although the one thing I don't like about that... And maybe... Oh. I guess it makes sense because she never finished... I never got to kill her. Mm-hmm. But it's not like this was like a one true love scenario. Because even though a lot of the things that happen with the killer can't happen literally the way they happen... Yeah. I think him having the multiple pictures of women was a spot of truth. I do, too. I feel like this has probably happened more than once, Yeah, considering. But that's the thing. I'm not sure You can't if, really... It's not 100% I'm not sure if, it, if it's as many times as we see those other pictures, though. Good point. Or if those were just fantasies. Another... Yeah, you, I think that's a good point, is you can read it as... Those were the gals that led up to this moment. Like, she didn't kill those. She just obsessed over them. But we, this we could don't be the, know. No, no, no. Yeah. Like I so said, you can make the argument is what I'm getting at. Like, all those Because otherwise precursors she probably would have been caught before this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, considering that's a lot of girls. That's a lot of girls for, like, not being that old. And yeah. for, like, apparently having some sort of social life and being out and about in college and maintaining yeah. a normal yeah. life. And, and being a little bit more... It's not possible, but... Yeah. It's a little bit harder to believe. I think so, too. But the thing that's really, I think, cool about this film is how it is ambiguous, even though after you know the twist... Don't you don't know which one is no, 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 no. right that's, at any given time. That's what I, I like most about it, is that for all the bits of gore and blood and, you know, like the slasher moments, is there's a lot of wiggle room to interpret this film. And you're not necessarily right or wrong, it's just... There are good arguments to be had yep. for either side. And that's fun because we're talking about it 14 years later, and it's still not definitive. <laughs> right. Know? You know the basics of what happened yeah. for sure, but you don't know the precise details because the only lens you're getting it through is very unreliable. Right. And if that's not art, then I don't know what it is. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Oh, man. This movie is super fucking good. Yeah, like so for this one... It brought I'm about, almost liking it more and more just as we're sitting here talking about yeah. it for the past I mean, you hour. can't help like, but like it because we're echoing our sentiments. But way back when, this was one of those movies that kind of kick-started me pursuing films like this. You mm-hmm. know, the the high tensions, of course, the hostels, the inside martyr, etc., etc., etc. And it just felt like it was a breath of fresh air, too, for horror in general. Because for that time period, I can't really stack it up against anything different outside of maybe the mean streams we talked about. Mm-hmm. But even they're different. Which, and those are weird still. Like, we still haven't, like, covered Hostel or anything. But it's yeah. weird that something that extreme was also as mainstream as it was. I totally agree. And that, like I said, that was kind of the interesting thing, I think, for horror in general. Like, there are some interesting shifts in the way things or even movements happen whether you're aware or unaware, like this is, I think this was a big one that kind of spurred on certain movements. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, shit, I absolutely agree. I also, unfortunately, don't have much else to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the other things I have to mention are mostly, like, trivia outside, just because there's mm-hmm. a couple documentaries I watched. So, for those who are curious... The reason why Alexandra Aja and Gregory Levisseur work a lot together is because they've been friends since they were 10. So they met in elementary school. Alex said that he was reading like a Fangoria fanzine magazine. And Gregory, like, hey, have you seen this horror film? So they developed a friendship akin because they were big into horror films, specifically from the 70s and 80s. They said they'd like to write the scripts together. And not separate because it gives them an idea to pitch ideas back and forth and kind of flesh things out. Whereas, you know, you're writing things separately, things are completely off course. But they said that when they get into the filming process, they don't think about it from the director's standpoint. Like, they don't think about, we need to do these kind of zooms or use this kind of movement. They said that they think about the way that the film flows and how the camera would flow accordingly mm. to their script. So they write it more from a writer's standpoint. And then later on, they go in and you know do their shoots. Okay. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of neat. They said one guy who was huge, fundamental in getting this off the ground was uh, this producer, Luc Besson. He said that for French horror films, so it's like almost non-existent, especially back then. But this guy would actually like help fund these kind of films. So they sent him the script. He really liked it. Of course, there was a little reworking, but he pretty much helped him get off the ground, get oh. the initial funding. So that was really neat. Mai Wen, who plays Alex in the film, how she was approached is they actually saw her at a stage comedy stand-up performance in, I think it was in Paris. And they approached her afterward, you know, commented that they enjoyed her performance. They felt like she really personified the character that she was supposed to be playing on stage. Mm. She said that she sat down and read it. She liked it. It was scary. She knew it was going to be a scary film, and uh, she pretty much committed. Like, she and Cecile, right after they read the script, they oh, were cool. both committed, and they got the parts. So that was really cool. They said that Cecile, she did, like, a Thai boxing workout. She wanted to lose weight to give her face more definition, more okay. worn. So she's normally, like, long hair. She's really pretty. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's a baby doll. But she was really hardened, and of course she had to cut her hair to make her look more, I guess, masculine for the part. So that was really cool. Okay, oh, so here's a question. Yeah. Out of nowhere. You might not be able to come up with something right away. Try. Martyrs got an American remake. Yeah. Inside got an American remake. If High Tension got an American remake, who would you cast? Okay, that's that's actually a good question. For the lead... Well, we'll only cast Marie and Alex. Fuck the others. All right, just the just those two, Marie and Alex. Oh man, I don't know why, but right off the top of my head, I was thinking Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> that would probably be a horrible casting choice, but you would need somebody who's like kind of physical in their character. I don't know. Let me think about that. And then Alex, man, those are two good questions, dude. <laughs> like, I don't know. Did you have anybody in mind? So for Marie, the only reason I had this person in mind for Marie is because she actually already kind of looks, I think she physically would fit into this same mold that was already established. And I think Katie Sackhoff would be a good Marie, better known as Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. That's pretty cool. Some people, the new Battlestar, not the old Battlestar, in which Starbuck was a dude. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Alex, though, that's tougher. Yeah, I don't know. It's a really interesting question to pose because if they were going to do one, now here's... <laughs> and that's the other thing. I might want to actually cast it younger than those two because 
Katie's probably got to be getting close to her 40s, mm-hmm. and I'd like it to still be, like, <laughs> college age. You yeah. know what I mean? I was going to say, knowing how American <clears throat> remakes are, especially with these French films, it's like, I wonder if you would change the name of the film from high tension to low tension. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that would probably be more appropriate. Oh, yeah, no shit. Yeah, we'll talk about that more some other you know, time. That's you know sure. what? Let's let's bookmark that. Let's put a, a lamp next to it, right? <laughs> yeah. So that when we do those remakes, we can go back and maybe give our better take on who would recast for those roles. I know, because I'm having a real hard yeah, time Yeah, especially right on now. the spot. I can't really, I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head. But both those other ones got American remakes. I, mean, I don't know Maybe why Margot this... Robbie. You could argue maybe yeah. her, perhaps. She's hot um, right now. How about Harley Quinn Smith? That would be dope. <laughs> I could see that. You never know. That's a good one. Harley Quinn Smith and Zendaya. There's my casting. Oh, damn. <laughs> There's my casting. <laughs> I like it, dude. All right, here's maybe one little bit of news left, like trivia-wise, I thought was really cool. This lends its hand to like some of the luck once again. So the keychain. Oh, yeah, okay. Right, the smiley face keychain. Yeah. They said they found that actually at a flea market in Romania. And that helped inspire the over, like the coveralls and oh. the design, like he has on the back. Now I don't know if you paid attention to this or not. The... How much do you pay for that keychain at a garage sale in Romania? Oh, in Romania? Oh man, it's I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Probably not a whole lot of nothing. Is that like a dime? Yeah, like pieces of candy, like they do in a hostel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the name of the company or whatever it says Aja and Frères. Oh. And Frères in French is Brothers. So it's okay. Aja and Brothers. Alexander Aja, of course. Uh, that was kind of neat. He actually makes a cameo in this film. I don't know if you knew that uh-huh. or not. He is the feet of Alex's father when he's being dragged off. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, you get to see his feet a little bit. But anyway, this lends its hand a little bit more to the uh, the character of the killer. So like I said, the costume design was based off that. They said there's two sound design cues that they used for him. They didn't want the clothes that he was wearing to make any sounds or you know his okay. movements to make sounds. They said the two audio cues that you get that pretty much personify him is the shoe squeaking and his breathing. Those are the two sounds that define that character. That's pretty neat. So, yeah, they said that the guy who composed the music, Sean Frault, is they were looking for the best audio kind of like sound design person in southern france and they found him and as if it wasn't for him you wouldn't get the same effects like the atmosphere mm-hmm. but sean frolt his actual music wasn't composed for the film it was actually already composed and they oh. just used bits from his like some of his other pieces from previous we're works. like we're just gonna do this yeah is that because it fit the atmosphere they were going for it just kind of it oh, fell damn. in place so yeah that's why they've used him since so hmm. Yeah, a lot of it's just, it's just some luck. This is one of those French films. Like I said, for genre films, this normally doesn't get made, but it did, and uh, we're talking about it today. So, yeah, it's fun. And it's another one of those, two where we're going to get back to the origins of why we did films like Martyrs and why we did films like Inside. It's because of films like High Tension. Yep. Super good. Go watch it. Yeah, highly recommended. I already said go watch it at the beginning of this. Go watch it a second I mean, time. I get it. I get it. I've done it. <laughs> Like, maybe you decided to just spoil it for yourself first, but you should go watch it. Yeah, I think even though knowing that twist, you still have to watch the film to appreciate it. I mean, like I said, I never saw it clean. Yeah. I had heard about it by reputation, you know, by reading shit online before I ever actually oh, yeah, got to watch it myself. Yeah. So I hope to preserve the twist for as many people out there yeah. as I can. I can understand, yeah. 
just like the twist and kill list. Well, you've had 14 years mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point to watch it. If not, and you've somehow not have heard the twist, even after listening to this, go see it. Yeah. Shit, we don't know what we're doing next week yeah, yet. We know down. what we're doing. We hopefully know what we're doing two weeks from We've now. We've got plans for that. We don't know what we're doing next week. Mm. So we're going to have to go figure that out. But we'd very much appreciate it if you'd hit subscribe so you can continue to listen to us next week when we talk about whatever the fuck movie we're going <laughs> to talk about. If you just caught this episode randomly, we're available like wherever you get your podcasts. So look us up there and you know, check out our entire back catalog, which you can also do over on our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Links for places to listen to us up at the top. New episode is streaming at the bottom. In between, already mentioned the archive. You got links to all of our portals, the Twitter, the Insta, the Facebook. Yeah. You can contact us through the website or by hitting us up, squirmcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And please rate and review us on however you're listening to us because it helps us out so much and just gets the name out so so much so yeah exactly and you've already mentioned too if you'd like to make recommendations if you have suggestions for films for us to review if you're in the industry need somebody to take a look at your film or just to mention it let us know we're always up for that as well if you just want to be like hey so we can be like hey yeah much give hey us boys. a hey yeah we like haze and like i'll tell you up. hey <laughs> No, but uh, it's fun, man. We enjoy hearing back from our listeners. We like communicating with people who do podcasts alike. Maybe we should give a, a shout-out to this oh, one. Oh, shit. I forgot. I was going to do that at the very beginning. I might cut this, too, okay. so that the shout-out is at the very beginning. But I just wanted to say thank you to the guys over at Late Night Psychorama that hit us up with some very kind words. That was awesome. We've, in turn, listened to some of their stuff yeah. and can't recommend them enough. They definitely cover some, some of the crazier really cool shit films. out there, too. Some really cool stuff. Don't want this to be a competition. Just want to get the word out about good yeah, movies. Likewise. So, way to go. Thank you, boys, for the kind words. A couple we of Jersey just, boys on top of it. Yeah. And we just wanted to say we appreciate it. Yeah, so, thank you. Late Night Psychorama. Go check those guys out. Absolutely. But in the meantime, I've been Danny. I'm Tyler. Fried Squirms. Out. Out.